Welcome to the Think Christian Podcast. Josh Larson here with a quick note about this episode. We recently had the fall online gathering of the TC Movie Club and wanted to share the audio with you here. In anticipation of The Fablemans, the new film from Steven Spielberg coming our way on November 23, we had a discussion about the signs of transcendence that can be found throughout Spielberg's filmography. As always, it was a good conversation, so I think you'll enjoy listening in. If you're not a member of the TC Movie Club and would like to join and be part of future gatherings, you can do so at thinkchristian.net slash movie club. We haven't decided yet what our next topic will be as our winter session won't take place until after the new year. But movie club members always get to vote on the options for each session. So now is a good time to join if you don't already belong. Again, you can do that at thinkchristian.net slash movie club. We'll return with regular episodes of the podcast in the next week or so. But for now, enjoy our TC Movie Club discussion of Transcendent Spielberg. Well, welcome everyone to the fall session of the TC Movie Club. I'm Josh Larson, editor over at thinkchristian.net, and we are here to discuss Transcendent Spielberg. Now, Spielberg has directed more than 30 feature films, so we're not going to be able to touch on all of them in our discussion, but Certainly, we're going to hit on the obvious ones when it comes to this idea of transcendence. So E.T., The Extraterrestrial, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, AI, Artificial Intelligence. As you saw, if you watch my video essay on the Think Christian YouTube channel, I also think his 89 romantic fantasy always is worth considering in this light. I'm eager to see what other titles you here who have gathered with us might bring up in the discussion. Before we started recording here, there was a mention of Jurassic Park. Can't wait to hear about that. And any other Spielberg titles that you want to talk about once we do open this up here in just a bit. First, though, I want to bring in my co-host and chat a bit with him. Robert Rivera is joining us today. Robert began writing for us at Think Christian, I think it was just this year, so a relatively new face and now a new voice we'll have here joining us. I think mostly television Robert's been writing about, and he did most recently publish a piece on Prime Video's Rings of Power series, so kind of took a look at that entire first season, and we'll wrap that essay into our Lord of the Rings ebook that we put out recently as well. So very excited to have Robert working with us here at Think Christian. Outside of TC, he works with students as a staff member at Moody Bible Institute here in Chicago, and he's the co-host of the Mixed Take podcast. I'm so glad you are able to join us today, Robert. It is good to see you. Start by telling me about your relationship with Steven Spielberg's films. Were these something that were a fixture of your childhood, part of your childhood, or are these movies that you came to more when you got to be an adult? Thank you for uh, for having me on in this discussion today, Josh. Um, let me let me start off by saying this: Spielberg was definitely a fixture of my childhood. And in fact, when I think about Spielberg, I the first thing that comes to my mind is not a movie, but aesthetics, dark backgrounds. <laughs> Beams of light <laughs> piercing the darkness, blues and oranges. And, and as I revisited some of the films, I realized, wow, how much he relies on some of these effects. But of course, E.T., I think I might have had bed sheets, E.T. bed sheets. <laughs> I grew up right around the time some of these movies were, were released or re-released. And so I, I have a hard time thinking about my childhood really without thinking of Spielberg movies, whether he directed, produced. I think mm-hmm. I was I was uh, chatting with Jeffrey earlier about uh, trying to discover the distinction there. Uh, as a kid, seeing his name plastered on everything, I felt yeah. like my entire childhood was, <laughs> yeah, was influenced by Spielberg. Yeah, similar to me. You, you saw his name on everything in Amblin Entertainment, you know, his production yeah. company, just even even some TV things that he was up to. And maybe there's something, you know, I'm similar to you. His work was formational for me growing up. Maybe there's something about encountering a filmmaker that distinctive at that time when you are young, where it's not the titles that come to mind when you hear his name, but it's the images as, 
you were discussing, even the yeah. techniques, the lighting, because it's the same way. I don't, I don't think of one Spielberg film immediately when someone mentions his name, but you're right. I tend to think of a shaft of life of light piercing some sort of darkness or something like that. So that, that's, that makes sense to me. Let's, let's move a little bit to the theme that we want to circle around today, this idea of mm-hmm. transcendence. And give me a sense, Robert, you know, we'll probably hear different definitions of this from different folks, maybe as we get into our conversation today. But separate from Spielberg, firstly, talk to me a little bit about transcendence, that word, that experience in a Christian context. What, what does that mean to you in a Christian context? And maybe after you kind of talk generally then can you bring it into some of these films that we're thinking about and, and just talk what mm-hmm. they mean to you and what it means to you in the context of his films as well? Sure. As I think about transcendence, I understand this is a complex topic. It's hard, it's hard to just pinpoint it or, or to sum it up in a, in a clean definition. But so this is how I view it. I realize that I am finite, meaning that I have a beginning and therefore I cannot know beyond my own experiences, unless it's, unless it's revealed to me, unless it's told to me. So as I think about transcendence, and I think about the transcendence of God in particular, I realize that there's an, there is an eternal creator who knows things that, that I do not. He, his, uh, his knowledge and his depth go beyond anything I can comprehend. So when it comes to the transcendence of God, I realize that there is a being who can give me purpose, who can give me direction, who can give me a reason to, to exist. And, and, and then through him, of course, we understand who Christ is. We understand scripture and all, all these things. So I, I think in, in terms of scripture, I think of Genesis 1, 1, 1, this idea of creation out of nothing. There was, there was nothing in existence except for God. He spoke, and here we are. We have the earth and, and and then so he stands outside of outside of time. We go throughout scripture, John, or I'm sorry, Psalm 139, talking about the idea that no matter where you go, God is already there. Before I say a word, he already knows it. And so as he's stepping outside of time, as he is beyond me, he he knows what is unknowable without him. And then in Revelation, how he brings it all back together and he he restores what was created in the beginning, the new heaven, the new earth, the garden of Eden restored. All of these concepts and ideas kind of go into that idea of the transcendence to me. Somebody who is far beyond me, somebody who, because he is so far beyond me, I then will take the rest of my life trying to understand him deeper. And and even in a very personal sense, what my purpose is moving forward. And so I'd never, I never want to be complacent. So you're taught, you're describing a meeting. It sounds like to me in some ways and transcendence is that piercing. I think of it almost as like an initial, and maybe this does bring us to Spielberg's films, that initial piercing of our finiteness with, you know, God's transcendence pierces into that. And there's a meeting and it can be just the first dawning awareness, or if you had that sense somewhere that there is more, it's the confirmation of that sense is our experience of transcendence. Um, And then as we pursue that and push further into it, then the learning begins and we start to see some of those more direct connections to scripture that you're talking about. Does that make sense to you then within Spielberg's films that it's the piercing that he tends to capture, or is there a different quality of transcendence that you find in his movies? No, I think that there's both. And so there's that sense of that aha moment that, that people have and say, wait a second, there is something beyond me. And then there's the journey of discovering, okay, what is it that I'm supposed to know here? I remember after I watched Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, I don't know if I'm allowed to even talk about that Spielberg movie here. Hey, I'm just going to. I'm just going to make fan, a quick reference. So I'm going to let you go. <laughs> I remember walking out of the theater and thinking to myself, Spielberg, Aliens again. This is the fifth <laughs> time I think he's brought aliens into his movies. And I think in the very meta sense, Spielberg seems to be looking himself for truth and purpose. And it is it's evident by by the stories he chooses to tell and in the ways that he chooses to tell them. In his own words, let me before I give examples here. In his own words, he says, "I don't search for." 
for films consciously that have a spiritual core. There's a spiritual part of myself that happens to bleed over into the work. And so I subconsciously, which is the only choice that's important, will find things that inherently have something of belief, of a belief system that's beyond our understanding. Hmm. That's a little bit out there. Interesting. I had not heard that quote. There's a great documentary on HBO Max, by the way, on Spielberg. Learned learned a lot about him there that helped me actually kind of frame his his movies. So apparently his his parents divorced when he was a young adult, or maybe he's still in high school. And I, I think that had an effect on him. I think that that kind of shook him up. He was estranged from his father because of him, because that was his choice. And his films kind of there, there's there's that continual theme of of families either breaking apart or reuniting. I think of Close Encounters Roy on this journey to find truth. And he's willing to leave his family behind. Mm-hmm. And E.T., uh, that, that family is left without their father. He's out of the picture. And Elliot finds this relationship with E.T., this, this deep connection that he's missing. War of the, War of the Worlds. I rewatched that movie because I, I remember not, not liking it the first time around. And I watched it with a new lens. And this time I realized this is less about a, an, eva- an evasion story. This is more about Tom Cruise's character, Ray, reconnecting with his son. Uh, he, um, he also had divorced their, their mother. And of course, the weekend that he has them is the weekend the aliens invade. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, through a series of events, he learns to see his son in a new light, his son, him in a new light, and they reconnect in Hook reconnection the jurassic park the kids come from divorced family indiana jones the last crusade and the kingdom of the crystal skull fathers connecting with their sons and ai we have this son on a journey to to find to reconnect with his mother or who he perceives to be his mother yeah so it's all over over so many of his films and there's obviously the personal element you talk to but then what might it also stand in for even spiritually in the way um that he alludes to in that quote that you said yeah the reason we're you know we're doing spielberg right now is because in a couple of weeks the fablemans will be out his uh next directed film which he co-wrote oh yeah and it's supposed to be so um very autobiographical is my understanding Mm -hmm. i saw the trailer actually just last night for the first time it was playing in in front of um ticket to paradise i was at and i hadn't seen it before and yeah you it's got not only the piercing light you talked about robert yeah um but this very domestic explicitly domestic setting that seems to be pulled mostly or largely at least from his own childhood. So it'll be interesting to see how that fits in. Um, but that's going to be, I'm glad you mentioned that thread because it is helpful of thinking about the Fablemans even in terms of a transcendent experience, how the family relations there might be echoing a larger seeking for whole relationship that we all have even beyond our families. Yeah, And I think that's the sort of spiritual transcendence that I find in his movies, even though, you know, I know it's not clearly, it's not meant to be of any sort of Christian type of transcendence on his part. Yet I still think we can see the parallels um, when we look for it that way in his films. So you hit on a couple of great titles um, already, some that I hadn't thought about um, before in this context, like War of the Worlds. I'm glad you threw that one in there. Uh, Let's go ahead and begin to open it up and see what other titles folks want to talk about. Uh, I'm just going to also share a quote here that will frame our conversation a little bit, or at least give us one other angle for thinking about transcendence. And I came across this. um, This is particularly about transcendence in art. It's from The Battle for Middle Earth. So more Tolkien talk here. But this book is by the Episcopal priest Fleming Rutledge. And I think Christian writer, podcaster Claude Acho pointed me to this. Uh, I was unaware of it, but I've been enjoying reading it since he uh, pointed out to me just a couple weeks ago. And Robert, actually, I mentioned it to you too for your Rings of Power piece. You ended up using a quote from it. It's such a good book. So again, it's The Battle for Middle Earth, Fleming Rutledge. And this is what she has to say about transcendence. Tolkien designed the story so that the attentive reader would discern the workings of an active transcendent agency. When that happens, something emerges that is even more compelling than a story of creaturely growth and spiritual development. The human growth and development that forms such a gripping part of the plot would not be possible without the unseen 
but awfully obliquely identified intrusion of the finger of God. And I really think that phrase that Rutledge comes up with there, the intrusion of the finger of God, when I read that, I was like, I immediately thought about our talk today. It's like, wow, that that captures so well what I've experienced in Spielberg's films, even though, again, not someone coming from a Christian background like Tolkien is, but still is operating in a way that captures this experience, I think. Maybe there's no better example of this finger of God than when those shafts of light shine down from the spacecraft in Close Encounters uh, above Roy Neary's truck when he's at the railroad crossing. I highlighted that scene in my video essay because I just think it's so crucial to thinking about Spielberg in this way. I see the this finger of God intruding there. So uh, these are, you know, they're intrusions, but also invitations. That's the next step. And I think that's, you know, perhaps where we can apply a Christian angle on it as well, is not just seen as that our world is opening up. It has been opened up, but for a purpose. There is a reason beyond this, and we would say as, a, as Christians, it's an invitation. It's a prompting to look outside of ourselves. That's what you were talking about, Robert, and seek something greater. So again, that's all over, all over Spielberg's work. So let's go ahead and open things up. Again, feel free to use the chat if you want. Um, I think one or two people did join us, so it's not a huge group, but still we could use the raise hand feature just so we know who's interested in saying something, and then I'll call you out and you can go ahead and start talking. Uh, but let's start maybe, you know, just with that general question that I asked Robert, what Spielberg films would you say, if you had to pick one, exhibit this sort of transcendence we've been talking about? Anyone want to get us started with a suggestion? It could be a title we've already we've already mentioned if you want. So I see that Scott, you've got your hand up and then, yeah, go ahead and use the raise hand. Jeffrey, I do see you, but just so I don't miss you in the future and it'll kind of put you in line, that'd be great too, but we'll get to you next. But yeah, Scott, good to see you again. What do you got for us? Hello. Yeah, I. Uh, so I, I just, I, I loved in your video essay how you mentioned the, the idea of people looking up. That is so Spielbergian. <laughs> and... Uh, and he even, I mean, it, when I was in film school, you know, they they talk about the Spielberg shot, which is tracking towards a person while the background gets further away. Like you have to zoom out while pushing, while dollying in or, mm -hmm. or vice versa. And it creates this amazing effect. And it's usually when somebody's looking up, he he often uses it like that. And, he, and I see it in every film he does now, even in like Amistad, there's one where he does it over the course of like three minutes in a wide shot, like just creeping towards a character, but the background's creeping away or vice versa. And so this, this idea that people are looking up while the camera is like focused on that, not just in a close up, but in like this exaggerated way that our eyes can't even do, it, it emphasizes that moment. And the reason is because something's going on in their head, right? Something mm -hmm. transcendent is going on with, with them because how do you convey that on film? It's in their head, you know? So yeah. that's what he's, that's the the device he's developed to convey like, hey, something's going on in this character's head. And so he has this this shot. And so so I love that, that you brought that up. I think the, for me, oh, the other thing I wanted to bring up too is the only films he's credited with writing, like as the written by credit. I mean, he's got tons of writing credits, but most of them are story or, you know, whatever. But the writing by, written by credit is Close Encounters and The New Fablemans. Like, he's not a writer. Yeah. And so the fact that he wrote Close Encounters and all the other writers that are credited on it aren't, were actually uncredited at the time. Like, IMDb shows a couple other writers. But, like, because I, I, I looked at it because I, I thought, is, you know, if we're going to talk about Spielberg, what's coming from him? You know, I'm a writer. And so I get like, like, what is the stuff that isn't, he's not just directing, but what is he writing? And it's not much like mm -hmm. this new fate. I'm really excited to see the new Fablemans because we'll, not only is it a bit auto autobiographical of him, but we get to see into his head a bit um, as a writer. But then I saw that Close Encounters was also written by him. And I thought, well, that's interesting because to me, it, it does... I mean, I, I haven't voted on the poll yet, but that one sticks out to me as well, just because of everything that's going on in the character's head again that we can't see. 
it just seems so transcendent. It's a search for some unknown calling, you know, and unknown truth. So, so I'm willing to be convinced, but, but those, uh, the fact that Fableman's and that are his only written by makes me look even more heavily towards those to yeah. find his, you know, cause he comes from a Judeo, you know, a Christian background. He doesn't come from a Christian background, but, but his, you know, he talks quite a bit about his Jewishness. And then we have obviously Schindler's, Schindler's list, which was extremely personal to him. And that was another one that I was like, could that, hmm. I see transcendence in that, but so that was the one I wanted to bring up in a long meandering answer to your question. Yeah, that's but, a, that's a really challenging one to think about in this context, which I, I had not done previously either. So is there yeah, anything immediately that connects in Schindler's list? I mean, obviously the, the big scene at the end when Schindler realizes that he could have done more, mm. you know, that to me, I mean, I cry every time, like I cry thinking about it. <laughs> I mean, that scene is so powerful and it's, and it, and it's the idea that I, I, I don't know if it's transcendent because it, it's so human. But it, but it's this idea of calling, you know, that that he's going for in in Close Encounters and and in and in other films as well. But like, but yeah, there's there's this idea that like we're called to something, and and Schindler did so much, but he could have done so much more. And he's and and he's looking at all these faces that he that he saved, and what he what he sees is all the faces he didn't save. And so that that for me is a transcendent moment, even though it's very human. Yeah, and I think. That movie, as you said, I think you could describe as one of his most personal, even though based on other material, not written by him. Uh, Close Encounters, definitely one of his most personal, as I'm even looking through his filmography here. Far and away, I feel like those two probably do feel that way. Thank you, Scott. And yeah, yeah can, I, why don't can, we... I one, can I say yeah, one yeah, thing? Can I say one thing, Robert? What, what I really appreciate, as you point out, that, that written by, and those two movies are are more more biographical he said that there was an actual scene in his in his own life where his father cried at the table and that he he at that point got really upset and he started yelling at his father cry baby cry baby hmm. an exact quote from that movie and so i i don't know that kind of just wow again reemphasizes this point in my mind that that he is trying to reconcile some confusion yeah. in his own life yeah yeah well, and how about, at least for me, you know, we've talked about these fantastic images that come to our mind from his films, yet also it's those, those family dinner table scenes that I think of right secondarily after those other images. Like those, those things are almost on polar opposites that the same guy who comes up with these otherworldly visions can also somehow perfectly capture mundane family, you know, meals in, in such an evocative way. I, I just love those scenes when he has them in his movies. Uh, let's jump to Jeffrey, and then and then we'll circle back uh, to you, Amber. But uh, yeah, Jeffrey, what did you want to share? For me personally, when I think of uh, transcendence, I think of God not only pulling us in, like as far as um, invitation goes, but I also think of it as a revelation of Himself that can be um, either general or or specific to us. And you know, with me being a a new believer, I am starting to experience some of these things myself. Like for me, my own personal journey was looking at the truth claims of Christ and seeing those things reflected in symbols like the cross. And I think that, and I think that that is not only a symbol of salvation, but a symbol of life. And I think that those are two uh, transcendent themes that you can see in a lot of Spielberg movies. And um, I know that before the meeting started, I mentioned Jurassic Park. And I think the transcendence that we see on display in that is this overarching message of life finds a way, even if it's, you know, creation gone awry, like he displayed in Jaws, or even if it's being even if it's being um, in awe of creation, like we see when they first encounter the uh, Brachiosaurus on the island. And I think the salvation aspect comes in that film, not only from, you know, the character of Dr. Alan Grant responsibly taking on the role of, of protector, 
but then the creation that seems to have gone awry also becomes a savior at the end. And then we also see a saving figure in the Tom Hanks character in Saving Private Ryan, in which, you know, salvation comes in the form of someone else giving their life so that someone else can live, which is very transcendent with the message of Christ. And and then also in uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, another thing of of salvation bringing life where he brings him the life healing water from from the Holy Grail, which is centrally tied to Christ. But I just think that when it comes to Spielberg and transcendence, I think that he can perfectly capture that in a lot of his movies through these intermingling messages of life and salvation. Yeah, thank you, Jeffrey. You added a couple other good titles to the mix. And your point about an experience of transcendence, you know, whether you're new to the faith or have grown up in it and you're, you know, in your 70s or 80s, it probably changes and it's going to be something you would describe differently at different points in your life and your faith journey. And it's interesting, interesting to think about what Spielberg films or moments or scenes might hit you at those different points differently. So maybe as a new Christian, it's one of his films that might resonate with you more strongly than if you were a more mature Christian. I don't know. Let's go to Amber next. Hi, everyone. Um, it strikes me in our conversation so far that we've we've mentioned two different directions, physical directions, upward and inward. And this reminds me of, I don't know how many C.S. Lewis, Lewis readers we have out there, probably a few uh, among us, but in the last book, The Last Battle, where this is, the, this is the book that takes all the characters into heaven, essentially, into this transcendent realm. It's Narnia recreated. But the, the, the line that's used over and over to describe this motion is further up and further in. And I watched Always last night, and, so, and I watched a little portion of the, the scene that he did from the Twilight Zone movie. And I noticed that some of the things he does seems like what he's going to do in the movie Hook, using children, using and and in some of the some of his other movies too. But the second star to the right, straight on till morning, is sort of the quintessential further up and further in motion. And Lewis, of course, gets this from well, he gets this from reality, the way things are. Um, but scripture also reflects this in the ascension. It's a movement. The best way we can describe it is a movement upward, but it's also a movement inward into the heart of reality and, you know, being seated at the right hand of the Father. Then we have the movement toward Jerusalem. Jesus sets his face toward Jerusalem. He goes in, he's going, you know, into the Death Star. So it can be the looking up and the the moment of glory, like the disciples see him on the Mount Transfiguration, but it could also be part of the hero's journey where they're going they're going in. And as they're going in, into a cave, there's a lot of doors that open in Spielberg's movies. Uh, often it's a child or an innocent who opens the door and is the one who has the courage to go in or something comes out and grabs them and pulls them in. But it's also, it could also be this heroic motion as well as, as, well as an observation. And then I wondered, you know, if anyone had thoughts about what they find on the other side. I mean, What's the character of the thing they find on the other side? Unless they mistreat it, it seems to seems to always be benevolent unless they mistreat it. Um, unless you count Poltergeist as one of his movies, which I've been told that I should not do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he had a heavy hand in that. But yeah, that's uh, Toby Hooper, still the credited director, regarded as the director. That's a great question. I mean... Benevolent, yes, that's the sense in Close Encounters, right? And to your point about younger characters of innocence opening doors, I'm thinking of the little boy in the farmhouse, that iconic shot of opening the door. So, but then you have something like Jaws, <laughs> which is maybe the most prominent use of the dolly zoom shot that Scott mentioned, that uh, pushing in and zooming out. That's definitely not a benevolent experience of transcendence that uh, Brody is having there on the beach. So yeah, that's a good way to to think about some of these things. What is found after transcendence has been experienced? I do want to jump here to the chat and check in with Zachary Lee and just see if there might be a comment or two that we want to bring to the front here, Zachary. What's happening in the chat? Yeah, no, lots of great things. It was interesting. I think 
Sarah, I love what you said before. I think in talking about light and color, she was talking about, if we bring it back to the Schindler's List conversation about how they're during the prayers at the end, the candle flames are in color, she says. And so mm. I just thought that was like very clever. Like we have this idea of looking up. And I think Robert, you had commented about how all the characters in Jurassic Park also stare up, but how does Spielberg employ color, especially in films like Schindler's List when we don't see it as much and how that draws our attention to like, is there something transcendent going on, even in the most mundane of things like a lighting of a candle or something like that. So I thought that nice. was really neat. Yeah. Yeah. Another, a, a different way of cueing us, you know, it can be camera movement as we've been talking about, but in Schindler's List, certainly the use of color is a cue in a couple of different ways. All right. Let's see, Brian, uh, why don't you go ahead? Sure. Thanks for welcoming me as a newcomer. Oh, yes. Welcome. welcome. Sorry, I have a little cold, so I have a cold, so my voice looks a little shaky. I was thinking a lot about the BFG, which I know is kind of minor Spielberg, but somehow, somehow personally, it seems kind of major. The BFG seems really in this category <laughs> for me. I know that the BFG character, he does have some, <clears throat> some weaknesses that suggest, you know, he's not, he's not a perfect character or he's not like, He's not an absolute stand-in for God, but but yet some of the things about him are really significant, are really suggestive of this this category. Like for example, the <clears throat> there are really two visual moments that come to mind. One is when she, I don't I don't want to give too 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 many spoilers away, but but there's a moment where she jumps and he's there to catch her, and that's a complete leap of faith for her to jump and expect him to catch her. Just that's a moment where he he's a rescuer in a way that you could see Christ. But but also I I even maybe more link even more lingering is this place he brings her. Like he brings her to this otherworldly place where they find dreams. And it's just it's just an amazing sequence. Just him as a dream giver. Um, like he's kind of finding dreams with her, but somehow the, the way he takes her to that place is really suggests transcendence too. That he's someone who can give her dreams beyond what she's able to find on her own. Yeah. Um, I also thought about Empire of the Sun a little bit, but I don't have that clear of a memory of it. I just remember that there's a lot of harsh reality and harsh realism in the whole movie. But and there are a number of scenes with airplanes and flying that just sort of invade and then invade the realism and then it somehow suggest something that's above this reality. I need to yeah. revisit that, but I think there may be something there too. So it was something I thought of. Yeah, thank you. I, that is one I would really like to revisit. I don't think I've seen it since it came out. And the BFG, I'm a fan <clears throat> of too. I, I think that one is kind of considered, uh, I don't know if it's just that it was unsuccessful, not a big box office hit, or it didn't quite hit on the themes that he usually does in the same way. But <laughs> I think it's a solid, I think it's a solid Spielberg film. I'm glad you brought it into this, into the conversation. Let's see, uh, Lisa, I think you had your hand raised next. Thanks. Hi, everybody. Going, connecting uh, to what Amber said about benevolence and also then just the definition of transcendence. One of the things, and I'm not a completist, so I'm sure that there are movies that go against this, this grain, but what I have always just adored about Spielberg is his incredible sense of optimism. I just that in his transcendence with people reaching, whether they were pushed into or drawn into or went looking for an experience greater than themselves, it's very often an experience that will be greater, that will bring greatness for the world or goodness for the world. It it always, it almost always ends in optimism. I, I, I like to say Cameron made a, you know, Cameron made a movie where machines inherited the earth. And they went, you know, and they killed all the humans. Spielberg made a movie where machines inherited the earth and they yearned for for the memory of humans. Mm. You know, in AI, mm -hmm. the bear is almost worshipped and, and David is because they knew real humans and, and such a benevolence there. And both movies are awesome, by the way. I'm not saying one is better than the <laughs> other, but... Even in Schindler's List, that the scene that um, y'all already mentioned, when people would say, how can you stand that movie? It's so depressing. I'm like, 
are you kidding me? Did you, did you see that last scene? You know, I think that that is just such this optimism that, that we can change. We can, we can reach for goodness. We can, you know, f- feel the finger of God. And I think that, that the, for me, the one movie that breaks that, which is why I find it so incredibly heartbreaking, is Munich. That is the one to me that I don't see any sense of optimism. And that last scene, I know it's not as well seen, but Eric Banya's character is meeting with, I believe it's Jeffrey Rush's character, who was his handler or one of the uh, part of the planners of the whole Mossad mission. And Jeffrey Rush refuses to have dinner with them. He's, you know, he's, it's, he says, we're, we're Jews, I'm, you're a stranger in a strange land where I'm supposed to offer you to come break bread. And because of the violence, because of what they've been involved in, they, they can't. And, and I just think for talking about personal movies, I would, I would love to talk to Spielberg about that because he can find transcendence in Schindler's List, mm. which is a you know, horror on such a huge magnification and Munich, which is still a horror on a much more continuous but that's so that's kind of my exception that proves my rule with Spielberg yeah. is he can all, he he finds God everything is rooted in that spiritualism because he knows he knows to whom we belong and and he knows that where we're going you answered my follow-up question as you were talking I thought uh, wow I wonder what is Spielberg's most pessimistic movie and yeah you might have made the case for Munich, but to your larger point, they're few and far between, even if there are others we can think of that way. Robert, what I saw you drop something in the chat. You want to jump back in and, and just share it here? Yeah, I was just, uh, just kind of thinking about this idea that perhaps in the case of Roy Neary in uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, as he's pursuing this transcendence, uh, perhaps Spielberg is trying to make sense of his own life as his father is leaving their family. I'm trying to understand why would my why would my father do this? Why do people do these certain things? Mm. And and perhaps there's a bigger there's a bigger purpose. He actually finds out later in life that his it wasn't really that his father was leaving, but that his mother was unfaithful and he had to go. Um, but that you know, so that revelation I think also kind of frames some of the later the, the 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 later stories about reconciliation and realizing wait there was more at play here than I had originally yeah. anticipated. So. I think that he is humble in the sense that he he's not he's not willing to just give an answer to life, but but recognize there may be something bigger at play here. Yeah, and if if it isn't an answer, maybe his movies going back to what Lisa was saying offer an attitude or a posture, and yeah. it, it it's one of I don't know if benevolence is the right word, but one of optimism, one of maybe forgiveness. I'm thinking back to the BFG, which is, uh, you know, I remember being very much a story about forgiveness as well. So that's uh, maybe another through line. I, let's see, I, Scott, I don't think you've had a chance to to jump in yet. So let's go to you. So I, I just kind of want to follow up on the Close Encounters thing because it's, um, I mean, I do think that's his most transcendent work, but I want to talk a little bit more about what Robert was saying, I guess, in a little bit, because I, I, I just rewatched it last year with my kids. And I had seen it many times, but I remember this time feeling how unfair that movie is to Terry Gar, because Roy is like upending that family. And she is kind of portrayed like as naggy and like, I don't know, like almost like not, like not, I don't want to say not supportive, but she feels like, like not portrayed very, very well. Uh, and I, and I wondered, if I wonder if Close Encounters is his way of trying to like forgive his father in a way, because mm-hmm. Roy kind of gets let off the hook in a way because he's like searching for this this larger thing, right? And that the reason that he portrays Terry Gar that way isn't so much that he feels his mother did anything wrong. I don't know about the the cheating or anything like that, but it, that he is like intentionally trying to like I don't know like offer something to his father uh, yeah. some reconciliation some forgiveness i don't know like that's like totally just like in my head nothing i've ever read or anything like that but it but i just remember feeling like that movie is unfair to terry Gar. the last time i watched it i still love it <laughs> but like totally unfair to that character 
but then like as we're having this conversation today like i do wonder how much that experience with his parents plays into it i don't know just yeah that movie has to walk a delicate line about the relationship and somehow find a way to have us still be invested in Roy's experience and root for him and want him to find an answer while at the same time recognizing that it comes at this huge cost to his family. And, you know, I, I mentioned in the video essay, how is this some sort of, you know, could this be seen as similar to the disciples leaving their families to follow Jesus? And I don't think it's, you know, it's maybe that's, interesting to think about, but it's so personal and close encounters. We have, we've been with that family at dinner and it just feels differently than, you know, reading the, the Bible story, the reference. It's not even really a story, you know, that this is what some of the disciples did. It's a struggle with close encounters is how much do we really get behind Roy? I think Terry Gar, who is so good in this era, you know, and whatever she showed up in, I think she, for me, when I watch it, she reclaims the dignity and the the justified exasperation of that character, that it works for me, maybe. I feel a little bit less that the movie is portraying her as, I feel there's more sympathy for her, I guess, for that character than maybe you do, Scott, but that might be largely because of Terry Gower's performance, you know, just, just what she's bringing to it. She had that that quality, and she always has a little bit of humor to it, and even the scene you know, that I tacked down at the end of the video essay where she's she's pushing him and saying, we used to come to this place to snuggle, right? And he just can't resist. He acknowledges that and he can't resist looking up again at the sky still, looking for those spaceships. I think even that moment lends her a little more credibility, at least for me, because she's doing more than just calling him out there. She's actively working towards reconciliation with him. And to put something like that in the movie, I think is pretty risky because we tend, that's another place where we could just leave Roy and say like, man, you are really missing it here, buddy. (laughs) Like you're really missing the point, but it does make for a richer portrayal of, of the relationship overall. Oh, I was just going to say, I agree. I think she is really great in it. I just, I, and I agree that like, I do feel sympathy for her. I just feel like I just feel like I don't know that you can be on Roy's side and feel sympathy for her too much at the same time. Like, I, I, I don't yeah. know that the movie walks that line as much as I kind of wish it did. But, but yeah. No. It's delicate. It's delicate. All right. Let's, um, so I see Hannah uh, has her hand raised. Why don't we talk to you, Hannah, and then we'll take another look at the chat. We'll do the poll and then we'll close out in a couple minutes here. Um, but go ahead, Hannah. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, I just wanted to... I, I love to comment or yeah, I, I put something in the chat a little bit earlier and I think Amber pretty much just framed it in the correct way of how I was thinking about it. But in the last crusade, as I've been thinking about that movie specifically through this lens, I think, you know, Indy is just like exasperated with his dad, like the whole movie and it plays for like comedy, but I think it, like my impression is it comes from kind of hurt because he gives his whole life, his dad gives his whole life to this venture or or this commitment to, you know, uncovering kind of the transcendent, I think ultimately. And it's I like, I do, it like everything we're talking about just makes me think like Spielberg is essentially just like trying to, through various stories, reconcile his own relationship with his father. But Indy eventually develops this kind of empathy and like affection, I think, for for his father throughout because he starts to realize how important this work is. And especially at the end when they have those transcendent experiences and see how faith is actually is leading to helping them to achieve their goal. It just made me think that maybe Spielberg was wrestling with this kind of idea of like, maybe my dad was onto something, maybe what he was doing was really important. And he seems to like grown in an understanding of that and their relationship is kind of reconciled by the end. So I just thought that was really fascinating. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's, I think of that as a comic relationship first uh, as well, Hannah, when, when I think back on that movie, but all of those nuances and those deeper feelings are there in the relationship too. And Last Crusade's a really good one. I mean, for a, for a third, <laughs> Third film in a series, right? Pretty, oh, pretty strong. That line, what you taught me was that people who have been dead for hundreds of years are more important than me. Uh, you know, mm. oh, 
I've co-opted that line a few times. <laughs> Different situations. But yeah, yes, I, I think that's a great point, Hannah. <laughs> it, it it does start out, but there's there's, there's pain. There's real yeah. pain there. Yeah, for sure. All right, Zachary, is there anything um, left untouched in the chat we want to make sure to um, catch up with, or did we hit it all pretty much? I was going to say, I feel like I, I'll drop this question that Amber, you so eloquently wrote, writ, that might be a good way to like send us off. We might, might want to keep have us extend the convoy for even further because, yeah, I think, Amber, you had asked this question about what's the relationship with Spielberg and kind of all that we've talked about between families and the transcendent. And then how do we, how do families mediate or encourage that? And what's the relationship? And I think I want to follow up on something that you had also said, Lisa, about how Spielberg said he couldn't make close encounters right now because or after he became a father, because he couldn't imagine leaving. Yeah, I'm, his sure, children, I'm, so. I'm sure I've read that, that he said, yeah. couldn't imagine it. So that there's, yeah, so there's another yeah. interesting connection, yeah, between families, the transcendent, how we can think about that. So. Yeah. So how do we know? You know, if we've experienced the transcendent and we want to pursue it and we know that should take precedence, how do we balance family relationships and obligations, especially in Christian subcultures where you could say the family unit is idolized? Maybe, you know, I think that makes it even more complicated. I think it's a really good question. Maybe, maybe I'll, I'll see if Robert has the answer because I don't. <laughs> put you on the spot, Robert, but where are you thinking in terms of, you know, these family dynamics we see throughout all these Spielberg films that we're talking about alongside the breaking in of transcendence and the often obsessive pursuit of it on characters? I don't know that the movies, maybe the movies are just interested in that tension and that's what they're giving us. Yeah, I think that the the family dynamic, the way I read it is the very thing that drives these characters to to something uh, greater than themselves and so like like i said before trying to understand why you know the why behind what is happening if i go back to close encounter sorry that that movie is so rich i do i i, I sympathize for for roy's wife um in that film and yet there's a part of me that also wishes that that she would have opened her mind a little bit more to what he was saying, because at the end of the movie, they do let him off the hook a little bit by the fact that there are really aliens. Mm. And however, the manner in which he left his family leaves me very uncomfortable. Yeah, and so as, as I think about the disciples, were they called to, to estrange their families? Or were they called to, to sacrifice more of their life than their family had expected, you know? And with Roy, I get the sense that he's never going to see his family again. Yeah. With all those creepy little alien kids <laughs> surrounding him. No, I think that's fair. I think that's that's kind of how I interpret it. But I like the distinction you're making. Um, es estrangement, I think, is a helpful word. You know, the, the seeking of the transcendence, there's a difference if it comes at the cost of estrangement or it's a prioritizing and it's going to have to be a lesser relationship maybe than it was previously, but not necessarily an unhealthy one. You know, that's that's in a, that's a better place to be, I would think. All right, we are coming up on our time. And though I don't think there's a lot of drama about the poll, if everyone who has voted, who wants to vote has, I'll go ahead and end it. But we have a pretty clear winner here. <laughs> Nine of the 10 votes are for close encounters. One for ET, no others. So yeah, I think pretty, AI is another one that I might've gone with. Yeah, yeah, that's I why I voted for AI. There. Apparently, operator error there. <laughs> oh, okay. So you did vote for AI. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's. I don't know. I've, I don't know offhand where I have it ranked, but that, for me, that is absolutely one of his best. Like it's it's right up there with his quality '70s and '80s stuff for me. So, Close uh, Encounters for me, it's it's just a very chilly film. I watched it again last night, and I don't know that I'd seen it since actually in the theaters. And okay. it, it's not that I don't love it and I, or it's not that I don't like it and that I don't respect the hell out of it, but it just, it doesn't get me in the feels anywhere. Okay. Fair enough. Probably, I would say the same, especially if you can consider it compared to something like E.T. Um, but again, it, those dinner scenes in Close Encounters, like the ones in E.T., those have a lot of feels for me. So 
Just love those two. Thank you everyone for coming in, for sharing. This was a really good discussion. I've got a lot to think about going out after this. I know we've got a, a hand or two raised yet, but we do want to be sure to respect your time. So it's always better to leave you thinking with uh, more questions, I would say. So let me give you quickly here um, some ideas or some thoughts about looking ahead for the movie club, especially as we have at least two people who are here for the first time. Welcome again, and thank you for joining us. Our next session will be our winter session, which isn't going to be until after the holidays. So we'll have a bit of a break here. And the topic hasn't been decided. So these last two we've tied to recent releases with Nope and The Fablemans. We could go that direction. A winter is also going to put us into Oscar season. So maybe something will arise in terms of what is generating a lot of nominations or a lot of year-end discussion. You know, maybe we don't make it thematic, but we make it an open-ended talk about Oscar movies. I don't know. We could go in a lot of different directions. The movie club is fairly new. We started with a series. These last two have been one-offs. Trying to find what, you know, club members are most interested in, what leads for, makes for the best discussions. So I will for sure send out at some point a poll with a couple options that movie club members can vote on as you guys have for the last couple. Wish I could tell you what those are now, but just not there. So keep an eye out for that. What else should I say? Uh, yeah, the, the podcast will have our discussion in case you want to revisit it in a couple of weeks, and then we'll put it on the YouTube channel as well. Otherwise, thank you, Zachary, again, for monitoring the chat and I think for being one of 10 other people who like Don't Worry Darling the way I do, you wrote about it for Think Christian. So I would encourage people to check out Zachary's post on Don't Worry Darling as well. So thanks again, Zachary. Yes, of course. It was a joy. Thank you. And Robert, thank you um, for being our guest co-host this time. It's great to have you on the Think Christian team. Again, check out Robert's work on the site and in that Lord of the Rings ebook. Thanks so much, Robert. Thank you. All right. So thank you, everyone. Again, stay tuned for that poll for our winter session, which will probably take place in February or March, but I'll get that poll out to you well before then. Enjoy the rest of the afternoon. Take care. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.